Uh, it's good to be back at the Amen Conference, and I think three or four years ago I had the privilege to be here, and it's exciting to see it grow. Man, the place is full, and uh, spirit is great, um, and our, our men don't get to come because we're ramping up for a meeting in Stillwater, men's meeting as well, and so we don't get to come very often, but I'm glad to be here. And I, because I wasn't here, I think I was here the last time, it was the last one maybe in the other building, and this is the first time to see all this, and isn't this incredible? We just finished a project in Stillwater, and I was so excited about it, and then I got here, and I want to go back and start all over. <laughs> but I'm not going to, because that's way too much trouble. Um, now, you know there are natural laws that govern all of life that God put in place. And last night, you heard Brother McCracken talk about some of the laws of physics in light, and I'm going to talk about some neurological laws. Once you've preached a while, then you realize that there are also natural laws of preaching, and if you've preached a while, then you probably have some understanding of the natural law of preaching number 17. And that is that anyone, any preacher that followeth David McCrackeneth <laughs> is considereth boringeth. And that's just it's one of the natural laws that many preachers have had to suffer from that governs the universe of preaching. But I have experience at this because he pastored at Stillwater uh, after I got to work for Brother Davison as music director for several years. Brother McCracken followed Brother Davison, and there was some natural, you know, some natural ability there, that's similar ability, and so that wasn't a big a deal. Then, but anybody that follows him is boring, and I think some of our people, the first time I got up to preach, probably thought, do you even have a pulse, you know, after, after Brother McCracken preaches? But I tell you what, I have... I have felt your pain, and, I, and I'm going to try to help you out. So as soon as I got up, I drank a, a big old thing of Nestle's chocolate milk for the calories. And then my wife sent me with some Starbucks Pike that I made in the coffee maker, and I drank two cups of that. Then I went to Starbucks, and I got a triple ristretto campana, which is like a, a concentrated form of espresso, so three shots and then right before I came in, I drank three five-hour energies. And if the stars will come into the proper alignment, and all 15 hours and all three shots and all the pike coffee and all of that, if it will just concentrate into three hours, then I can get 25% of what Brother McCracken can do in uh, energy, and, and we'll get there somehow. <laughs> I think it's coming. <laughs> I think it's coming. I'm feeling good. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Let's stand. I hope that's all I got, though, of his. <laughs> or else Lisa will be feeling Miss Nancy's pain, and I don't think that... <laughs> Luke chapter 22. Now let me tell you that this is not going to be a primarily theological approach. You realize that it was stated very well, Brother McCracken said it, if you noticed at the beginning of both times before we read the scripture, God gave us this very specifically and we have exactly what he wants us to have. Do you think he was deliberate in every piece? I really believe every word's deliberate and has meaning. You realize how we got this. He talked about a book last night, and I encourage you to get that book. But he worked through me, and he used the, the Godhead part of the Holy Spirit that, that spoke to men, and they recorded it, and they, and they gave it to us. Do you realize you are a product of his creation directly? No human intervention. Do you think he was just as deliberate in the way that he made you? He is. And was. And so there are some, you'd have to think because the same mind did both, then there's some wisdom in connecting what the scripture says with how he made us. And it might be that there could be some benefit there. And so I am going to take a little bit of the side of his creation of us as our body, but then also take a, a theological approach. And, and we'll do that more in the third session when we get to the hope. And, uh, and yet I want you to notice. Something specific here in verse 31. Luke chapter 22. 
verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. I'm telling you, Peter was convinced. I won't ever do that. I'll never be there. This man was really self-deceived. And God's trying, Jesus is trying to tell him, you are a, you are a denier. You, you are. That's who you are, Peter. And he's saying, not me. I'm not. And I, I want you to realize today, whether you're in some of this bondage or not, you're susceptible to it. I'm going to ask every man here to really pay attention. And it's not just going to deal with pornography. It's going to deal with an addiction that is over that. And then pornography will be the sub-addiction that we'll talk about. And I want to encourage you to realize Satan has a plan for you. And maybe today can be a help. Men, this is a horrible addiction. But it is not the unpardonable sin. And there is a way out of it. And a way to avoid it. Let's pray. We'll get started. Father, I want to thank you for the truth of last night because if it were not true, none of this would matter. And your blood makes it possible for us to deal with some of the specifics today so that there can even be forgiveness and a fresh start or new hope. And I pray that you would accomplish things today that I imagine there's some men that are begging you to accomplish. And we probably, last night, could in in no way cover the passion of a wife who's praying for her husband. And just begging, begging you to give them some kind of way out. Or a, a son that needs a dad to show him how to have victory, not by just what he says but because he's lived it so that it has more meaning and more credibility. God, I pray that you would use both the combination of what you expressed through your word and what you've expressed through the way that you created us to enable us to live like you intended us to live. And help me not to complicate it. I don't want to do that. I'm going to try to make it clear and uh, in some way, I hope that by the time we're done today that there'll be men that go home with hope and a clear conscience and with a plan and with an, an opportunity to live under the blood of Jesus Christ a life that maybe they thought they might never get to live again. So accomplish what only you know needs to be accomplished, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm in by nature of it. I'm going to be pretty frank today. And I'll try to be careful because I know we have some, some young men in the room as well. And again, there, there will be more theological approaches than this one. And I, I imagine your pastors probably dealt with some of this at times or at least elements of this. And uh, in some ways, I'm going to make a statement here that you're going to think, especially preachers would think, well, you're shooting yourself in the foot in the very beginning. But I want to tell you, I'm going to give you some And you're going to question both of these statements. I'm going to give you some unnecessary new truth. And you're thinking, you're probably thinking two things there. First of all, if it's unnecessary, why are we here? That's a valid question. And then you're probably thinking new truth. There is no new truth. All truth is God's truth. Understand, but what I mean by new truth is in the last 20 years, there have been some developments in uh, the imaging of the brain. Some of the image technology of being able not only to see the condition of the brain, but real-time changes in the brain. And it's enabled us to have a better understanding, understanding that we haven't had before of how the brain functions, and we can kind of see real-time when changes are happening. And so we have a little bit more condensed version of cause versus effect. 
and the cause of something we can, the effect of something we can see maybe what the cause was. And so that's what I mean by new truth. No, not new truth that it's, it's new in existence, but we're just discovering more of it now. And I say unnecessary because men for ages have avoided addiction without this information. And so I'm not coming to you as if I'm saying, oh, okay, this is the end all of information and this will be what it is. Men for ages have simply had this book and they've avoided addiction. I want to be absolutely clear about that. And yet to whom much is given, much is required. And we do have more information. And it ought to help us to be even more conscious of what has the potential to overtake us and empower us. And the reason I believe it will be useful is because they did not face as effective of a trigger for addiction that we do now. I'm just talking about the, the trigger for addiction. Satan has always been as subtle as he is now, and men's hearts have always been as black as it is now. I'm not getting into comparisons. Boy, it was harder there or there. Every age has its difficulty because God is building men. It's just like ministry. You go into ministry, I don't care where you go, it's going to be hard and it's going to get hard because it's not about the place. It's about God taking you from here to here to here. And every age has had its own and understand that. Yet, yet in some ways the, the weapons are more sophisticated or maybe harder to detect in some ways. And you realize that there are forces at work that are almost beyond our comprehension. We don't just wrestle against fresh, flesh and blood, but, but against principalities. And I mean, they're rulers in, in areas that we can't even comprehend. And there's this, there's this overall attempt to see to the demise of, of God's people and God's servants. Satan wants to be able to, in his mind, exact some kind of revenge or steal the glory from Jesus Christ. And he has, he has things at work that you and I can't even see. But it's not just these overall forces. What I just read is significant as well because it's not just this overall force. It is that I could come to you and I could go to every man in this room and I could name you and I could say Satan desires to have you that he may sift you as wheat. And then part of what's happening in your life is Satan wants to be able to thump you like a drum and he doesn't care what kind of condition he leaves you in. He wants to draw you in and leave you for dead. And none of you, none of us are exempt. And he has a plan. And he knows what he can do. He has a roaring lion and he's walking about seeking whom he may devour. And you are in his crosshairs. You better mark it down. So every age shares some common characteristics to bringing God's people down, but there's also characteristics that are unique to that age. And all of these strategies somehow target fallen men, but the strategies are not always the same. And some of the technological advances of the last 20 years has brought about change at an unprecedented rate. And understand this, it's coming so fast that we don't have enough time to really gauge the effects of any given technology before we embrace it fully. Think about that. All these technologies come along and we give them all a free pass as if, hey, that, that's great, that makes things easier. Well, the problem is it's coming so fast that we don't have the ability to gauge the effects. We don't have like the FDA, the, the Federal Drug Administration, which I'm not saying is effective at all, but well, they, they take medicine and they say, okay, we're not going to put this out on the market until we're certain of all the effects and what it caused and that it's not going to damage people. We don't do that to technology. And yet it is affecting us at an epidemic level. And we, we just automatically call it an advancement and then start using it. I can tell you there's a lot of homes that wish certain technologies had never made it in the door. Doesn't mean they're all bad, but it means we sure didn't gauge the effects much before we gave it a free pass and said, I give you access to everything. And through these advancements, I'm convinced Satan has come up with an unprecedented weapon and you say, okay, well, you're, you're referring to pornography addiction. And I'm saying, no, not, not so fast. Because it's not just pornography addiction 
but rather it's an addiction to novelty. To novelty. And technology's produced so much freedom of choice that we now are being conditioned to have endless new. We want new. Because new, neurologically, is stimulating. And we can get endless stimulation of whatever kind. And I want to explain to you what makes pornography so easy to get into and so hard to get out of because of how the brain deals with new and why pornography is a different type of epidemic today than it is an epidemic when it's always been a problem, but maybe it's not been of epidemic proportions in the past. And why is that? So I am going to ask you, please engage your brain. And there'll be some challenges, um, but Brother Prater was right. If you'll stay there to the end, I think it'll be a help to you. In pure addiction, there's not primarily an attraction to what the addiction is. And we, some, we don't always comprehend that exactly. Addiction doesn't mean that you do something repeatedly. That's not exactly what addiction is. Pure addiction, in its purest sense, means simply that the brain has actually rewired itself. And if we're not careful, we'll just think, okay, well, I do this a lot, so I must be addicted. And you very well may be addicted, but the, the, actual, the actual reference of what has happened is that the brain has gone through some changes, that there is, there is what is technically an addiction. And understand that when Scripture speaks of the mind, it is not some vague concept. When we are told you are to be transformed by the renewing of the mind, have you ever thought, what does that mean? Because sometimes we just think of it as a concept and some spiritual law, and, and it is all of those. But the mind, when, when God says the mind, he knows what he's talking about. And it's not just an ethereal idea that's out there. There are actually parts of us that he has designed that he's referring to. And, and so there, there is some transformation. There is some changes that take place somewhere that he's actually referring to. It's, it's not just something that happens out here in, in, a, in some exclusively spiritual realm. It goes deeper than that. And in part, it is your brain and it's the way that it works. You realize that your heart, when he's referencing your heart, is not most of the time he's not referring to your actual heart because of its function. He's referring to what goes on in the brain and some of the emotions and the thoughts that take place. Think about this. We all know Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ. What are the last three words? Which strengtheneth me. What does that mean? It's his power. But he uses his power to then strengthen you. The last three words give meaning to the first three words. I can do. It's not the willpower of the first three words. It has to do with the power of Christ. But when it says, which strengtheneth me, have you ever asked yourself, how does that happen? Because sometimes we can put it on a plane and we can say, well, I'm just going to sit here and he's going to do all the work. That's not exactly what he says. He says, I'm going to strengthen you but that means that somehow he comes in and he does something that he enables us and provides the capacity. And men, some of that is actually put into the design of the body in the first place. Is the way that he accomplishes that. And we're thinking, well, this is work that he, that he has to do right now. Some of it he's already done, and he's expecting you to use the wisdom of Scripture to do what Scripture says, because there's some things we're going to find out by the end that when you do what Scripture says, it's interesting what it does up here in a, in a very, very biological sense. And so when it says, which strengtheneth me, he's not just talking in generalities. We probably have more idea now what he means. And even your dependence on Christ is in part done using the brain that you have. And he's equipped you to do exactly what he says. Now, some of you would say, you know, I'm, I'm really not susceptible to addiction. I, that's not really something that, that I would do. And, and there, there would be plenty of people here, those of you in ministry, you'd say, I, I would never really, I don't think I'd ever lose ministry because of a cocaine addiction or an heroin addiction. That's what we think about a lot of times when it comes to addiction. No way. Oh, a gambling addiction and, and get into all of that, I wouldn't do that. No way. Uh, uh, 
probably a lot of the men in the room would say, I'd never get addicted to nicotine, or maybe you were and you're not now, and, and you say, that's not, it's not something I'm going to deal with. But I'm telling you, once you start with internet pornography, addiction is almost guaranteed. And you're just conditioned to think that you couldn't become an addict. I want you to realize, and, and anything that I say today, you feel free to go out and research, and if you'll study, you go into the field of neurology and you'll study some of the, the terms that I'll give as we go through here, you'll easily find that I'm not giving you potential theory. I'm, I'm giving you what is proven that you can back up by your own research. The changes that are seen in the brain of a cocaine addict, they're finding out are basically the same as those of a porn addict. Because of the imaging that's available now, an experienced neurologist who looks at the changes in the brain of somebody who's been addicted to cocaine, and then he looks at the brain imaging of one who's addicted to pornography, and the most experienced neurologist cannot tell the difference. Because in the brain, there is no difference. That's, that's not it. Because the cocaine is not what causes the addiction. Now, cocaine and heroin are two different things, and, and heroin has its own a little bit different type cocaine, uh, and meth, uh, those two, are, are of a different type because the, the cocaine creates a sensation that floods the brain with a chemical we're going to talk a lot about this morning called dopamine. And enough use of the cocaine that creates the chemical dopamine, the neurological chemical dopamine, and the brain begins to rewire itself for addiction. And that's the exact same thing that internet porn does. It's just a little bit different entry point. It floods the brain with dopamine, dopamine just like cocaine does. And so you sit there and say, I'll never be that kind of an addict. Satan doesn't care what the addiction is. If he can rewire your brain, you're sitting there smugly saying, I'll never be a cocaine addict, but you're a porn addict and the effect on the body is much the same. Satan doesn't care. Where it matters, it's the same addiction. And it can cause the same damage to a family, to a man's mind, to his spiritual life. I want you to understand an effect that in neurology they call the Coolidge effect. And it's why novelty is so involved in, in pornography addiction. Let me give you... Um, one, one of the reasons we're going to find here in a little bit that they do experiments on rats and apply it to humans, which, I mean, that's great for our self-esteem, isn't it? That, that uh, well, we can figure out how humans are going to work because this is how, what a rat does. Well, and again, I'm going to be, I'm going to be straight with you this morning, but you, you take, they take a, put a male rat in a, with a female rat and they, and they uh, mate and a few times, but that male gets tired of that female and basically doesn't have the ability to mate anymore. But as soon as they put a new female rat in, then the male rat is, I mean, instantly is changed to where he's able to mate with the new female rat. But then after a couple times, and okay, I can't, this is not effective anymore, and so uh, you, don't have, you don't have the effectiveness of reproduction, and so they'll go put another one in, and he gets tired of that one. Now, they found this to be the case in farm animals. That they'll take one bull and, and it'll service some of the cattle uh, that are there. But you realize what they find out is it won't service the same one until there's no, no other new, new cow left. And you say, what does that have to do with anything? It, it illustrates the, the Coolidge effect. In Australia, they've done several studies. They'll take a group of men. And, and men, I know some of you are thinking, oh, man, I'm in church. This is uncomfortable to talk about. We probably haven't talked about this enough in church, but if we can't deal with it in a group of men, then we're probably hosed at that point. So, so just chill out because we're going to get down to some nitty-gritty. And again, I'll try to be careful. And uh, I, I see some of you already squirming because we're talking about rats and bulls. And so <laughs> wait till we get to men, all right? So in this Australian study, they took a group of men and they put them in a room and they showed them an adult film and, and they were able to measure in the brain the, the sexual attraction they had to that and, and some physiological effects like sweat and all of those things that, that come along. And, and they noticed by the, the time they showed this film the third time, 
then their physiological effects were basically worn out. And so all they did was they put a brand new film, brand new video, and their effects were back to the very beginning again. I mean, just I mean, with about three minutes in between, it's not that the body recovered. It's that the mind automatically is interested when there's something new. And they would show it three times. And then, boy, the effects just go where the, the, the heart rate and all of that just goes almost to nothing. And then a new video. Boy, the effects just skyrocket again. This is where they could tell, okay, there, there's something that's happening in the mind here. And what is happening revolves around a neurochemical called dopamine. Dopamine is a chemical that makes us feel great. And it's part of our reward circuitry. And, for example, in, in sexuality, it, it's, not, it's not the sexuality itself. It is the, it is the desire to experience sexuality. But it's not just sexuality. It, it drives part of our desire to eat, and it provides us with motivation. It's actually involved in, in running. Brother McCracken's a runner, and I'm a runner, and we both know what the runner's high is, and we both know how that what dopamine gets you ready to, ready to go and, and, uh, and gives you part of the motivation. And God designed it that way, especially in areas that he knew that we needed for survival. And so he created the brain to have this chemical that, that floods and says, listen, these are things that you need to do. It tells Tells us that we it makes us want to eat high calorie foods. There's a reason that you are potentially attracted to chocolate more than you are broccoli because there's actually a chemical inside that says, "Hey, this has more calories." And and God knew that we needed calories to survive. And praise God, you can't live off broccoli, and so He didn't expect us to. You got to have some chocolate in there or something that has some calories. And and you don't just eat the meal; you eat the dessert as well. There's some dopamine taking place. And then it floods the brain and it makes us want to do that. Well, it also provides us with a desire um, to, for sexuality, uh, to replenish the earth. That, that, ne- that was necessary for the survival of man and God designed it that way. And so looking at a female sexually provides a shot of dopamine. Again, it's, it's not the actual, the, the acts of sex itself. It, it, is the, it is the attraction that provides the motivation that makes us want to look. Doesn't matter whether it's television, a magazine, the internet, it's irrelevant. Now, we all know, morally, biblically, that God wants us to limit our sexuality with the wife that he either has given you or will give you. But have you noticed, in fact, let me say it this way, wouldn't it be nice if sexual attraction didn't happen until you saw that woman. I was preaching this on, on Wednesday nights to our whole church, and, and um, I knew that our ladies would be crushed by this, but I had to say, ladies, God didn't design us that way. I mean, honestly, I wish that, that I'd had no sexual attraction to any woman whatsoever until I saw Lisa Harris one day in Tulsa. And that it, and that it was God's way of saying she's the one for you because she's the only one that, that you'd be attracted to. I wish he'd have done that, don't you? Sure made life a lot easier. But he didn't. He didn't build in a sensor that only kicked in for that one. Now, I want to explain how this dopamine works and how it, ex- how it affects the brain and, and what it does uh, to the brain. And so we're going to get a, a, little bit, a little bit detailed here. If I can get it on, see if I can make this work here. I'm pushing the right button particular place I'm supposed to point it, it's on with the timer. Can you guys forward it once? This technology, this is what, this is what happens sometimes. Or do I need to keep trying to do it from here? There we go. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Alright, so this is how dopamine works. This is a, this is a, a brain cell, two brain cells that you know, in, in your brain, you have, you have all of these, like, wires, it, it appears, and, and it really is electronic in a sense. There are these elect, electromagnetic signals that come across, and, and it goes from one cell to another. And so when these two cells are approximated that are going to communicate with each other, we call it a synapse. And so that's what the process is here. And so what happens is there is, a, there is something that the brain 
finds as a, as a little bit of a stimulation or when it believes something ought to be a stimulation, then these small dots here, these small circles within these larger circles are little pockets of, of dopamine, which is a chemical. It's a neurochemical. And so when there is a, an impulse that it sends this dopamine from here and this, is, this cell is supposed to receive it and it has these receptors and so all of this dopamine is flowing across depending on, 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 on what the level of stimulation would be or that the brain thinks is required. And these, these cells, these receptors are supposed to receive it so that it can continue on and it sends all the signals to the rest of the body. And so that's what the actual dopamine does and what it accomplishes and how it goes across. And it needs to have these particular receptors and every cell has a certain number of receptors on it so that it can accept whatever chemical is being sent across. And so in this case, the, the kind of motivation and one of the most powerful of all of them is this dopamine. All right, so how does internet pornography affect that? What is it that, that makes this so important? Well, understand, for the first time, really in... In man's history, he has unlimited access to that kind of an image. That hasn't been true in basically most of mankind's existence because of the internet. In 10 minutes, you can see more images than your grandfather saw in a lifetime. Isn't that true? I mean, if, if he would have had access to every magazine in his community, he couldn't see as many different images or situations in his life as you can sitting in a computer for 10 minutes. And every click is a spurt of dopamine. So you click on an image, click. And... And it is stimulating, and what makes it stimulating is the brain sends this dopamine across, and these receptors receive it and sends it on, and it sends the right signals. And so, and so that, that the actual seeing of the image and the attraction to it, there's dopamine going across. <coughs> Click. Remember the Australian film? They'd show it once, and there was an attraction to it, and then they'd show it again, and it wasn't quite as much, and again, and then it's dead. But in five seconds, you can accomplish what it took them the time to go through all those, that same film three times and then a brand new video for them to see. But now you can sit at a computer and five seconds later, you have all brand new. Click, five seconds later, all brand new. Click, five seconds later, all brand new. You can sit there for minutes, turn into hours, can turn into a lot. And you realize novelty feeds dopamine. Every new thing, it's not just that it's sexual, because this doesn't just apply to sexuality, that's just the application today. The fact is, it is new. It is something that was not seen before, something that was not stimulating before, and so, and so the dopamine goes across. You stare at that same image over and over and over, and, and, and it's going to lose its effect, but you click to a new image, and one of the reasons that we want to click to a new image is because the brain loves the dopamine, and so there's a whole other spurt of dopamine, and a new image click, and a new spurt of dopamine over and over, and you realize one of the difference in dopamine's effect on sexuality versus food is there's a built-in mechanism for food that says I'm full I can't eat anymore that didn't happen in looking at pornography you just keep going and 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 there's there's not that same mechanism I realize there can come come a point in the consummation of of sexuality that okay it's just not as exciting anymore but that's a whole different process you you just click 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 and I'm telling you every click is is a it's a spurt of dopamine and it and when you have that much, over time, it has three effects on the brain, and that's what I want to center on today. Because if you understand, that has not been possible because the technology has not been there. But the brain was not designed to handle 
this dopamine spurt over and over and over and over and over and over and over again in such a small segment of time. And when that happens, it's like almost an overload of the brain. And the brain says, okay, there's so much dopamine going through here. I've got to rewire myself to handle this. And that is how addiction takes place. When the brain begins to rewire itself. The first of these effects is called desensitization. Now, I'll explain what that means. But desensitization basically numbs the pleasure response. Because there's so much dopamine going across, going from one to the next, and, and because it is coming in such force and such repetition, and, and everyone is just as new as the last one, then what the brain has to do is these dopamine receptors, in order to, to measure this out some and to regulate it, it has to reduce the number of receptors so that it can cope with the amount of, of dopamine. And so what happens is in desensitization, now we only have two receptors because that's the brain's way of responding and it's actually adapting over time because it, it, it can't accept as much dopamine and one of the first things that it does is this desensitization process. But here's the effect, man, and please follow this. It leaves you a little bit less sensitive to the pleasure of stimulation and hungry for more shots of dopamine. An example, if somebody is screaming in your ears loud enough, then you typically respond something like this. Because you can't, you only stand the screaming for so long and, and your, your ears can't take it. And so you have a mechanism that says, man, I got to cover this up because I, I don't want to take this. Well, your brain does the same thing. When it has, has had so much dopamine screamed to it over and over and over, then it has to somehow cover up its ears in a sense. And the way that it does that is it reduces these numbers of receptors. But you got to understand this. When that happens... Particular interests and stimulus and other behaviors that used to be satisfying and fulfilling aren't now because they don't produce as much dopamine as the pornography did. And because there aren't as many receptors, let's say something that you did before that was a wonderful activity that produced about this much dopamine because you have fed so much dopamine through it before with pornography, now those other things don't hardly register because there's not as many receptors. And all of a sudden, things that were very viable and very good, they just don't fulfill much anymore. And some of the basic joys and pleasures of life cease to do anything for you because the brain got used to the ultra-high level of dopamine and when it reduces those receptors, that applies across the board. And it might be that, that something that was enjoyable before, like maybe even going to church or getting up and reading the Bible, and something that was satisfying at one time, you're thinking, well, I can't, you know, I'm just not as interested. It's just a little bit drier today. And, and all of those things can be true, but I'm telling you one thing that's biologically true. You reap what you sow. And if you feed yourself these, these, this high enough level over and over and over, God designed the brain to redesign itself and to rewire itself. And the fact is that it will affect other areas of your life. And it's basically the same as tolerance. You learn to tolerate what you're looking at. And there comes a point, man, your wife isn't as new as she used to be. And she just can't produce the same effect as she used to produce and after that it takes even more to produce the same effect because the pleasure response has been numbed and it takes more and the brain knows if you're going to make me feel like I did before you got to give me something with a whole lot more dopamine because I don't have the receptors that I used to have and since I can't take as much at once you're gonna have to flood me with more because I've gotten used to that and often it, and that's the reason that often it has to escalate and it will escalate because this doesn't accomplish it now. Now it takes this much and now it takes this much. 
you eventually escalate to things that don't necessarily represent what you want. You might say, I don't want this. But you've conditioned your brain basically almost to have to have it. And less explicit leads to more explicit. Because after you've had so much, the receptors are reduced. And you, you have to produce a lot more, and so you, you saw less explicit, and maybe it was soft. Soft porn, now it has to go to harder porn. Because your brain's demanding it. Now, wait a minute. By the way, there's nothing I'm saying today that says you don't have a choice in the matter. We're going to get to that. You, I'm trusting that you're smart enough to realize you can't preach the Word of God, preach that from a pulpit, that you don't have any choice in the matter. I'm just saying you reap what you sow and the brain is rewiring itself. Photos lead to videos. Okay, well, this I, I see this, but that's just a static image. Now, well, how, how, about some, how about some motion and sound? and That's just a lot more real. And you'll seek it out. And heterosexuality leads to homosexuality. Because you get, you get used to a man and a woman, and there'll come a time that if you let yourself live on enough of this stuff, you're thinking, that's not me. But that's the next level of stimulation. I'm telling you, one of the reasons for the explosion of homosexuality and the, and the acceptance of homosexuality is not just all these other factors we've talked about. Some of it is because of internet pornography that started out with a man and a woman and only so much of that and you begin to have to have more and it's the obvious next step. And some of you that right now you'd say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm disgusted just by the thought of it. You may not always be if you're sitting there in your bedroom going over and over and over and over. You'll get used to that. And you'll be thinking things that you never dreamed and that you are so ashamed and, that, and it'll be stuck away in that closet and you'll do everything you can to hide it. But you've conditioned your brain to need it. They're finding that homosexuality can lead to child pornography. You can get used to homosexuality, and then you still have to have stimulation. Leads to rape scenes, violent porn. Whatever's available, you'll eventually make your way to it if you don't find a stopping place. Except by the grace of God, there go every one of us. And that's why. God designed us all the same way. It doesn't matter. It's part of the reason for the Viagra commercials. I mean, seriously. Men will do fine with advanced porn, but their wives can't do much for them anymore. And it's not just all the other physiological effects. Much of it is because the brain has been rewired. I'm not saying every time, but in, in many, many cases. Isn't it interesting? Another woman can bring that effect, but the wife can't. Why is that? Because it's not new. And we've become so conditioned to have to have new and novelty. And intensity and repetition both produces this idea of desensitization. And several short repetitions actually produce um, as much as a few major sessions. Let's say you're there for an hour or two hours and you're, and you're into pornography. That doesn't quite have the effect of several small times of, of looking and then the stimulation. By the way, this isn't going to be the most popular part of the message. But you know where they find, where they're finding the same effect? Video games. And the theory behind levels of video games is the same thing. Because a level produces its new. And so they're finding the, the exact same effect. I mean, they're, they're watching the, the brains of video game addicts as opposed to porn addicts, as opposed to cocaine addicts. And as they come to a new level, you have this dopamine that goes across and it gets used to that. And so another level is another shot of dopamine. And no wonder people get so addicted to video games and they, they'll play them over and over and over. And you're thinking, it's no big deal. We're, show me a book, chapter, and verse for that. I can just show you in your brain what's happening. 
And, and you're, you're thinking it's not a, a big deal. I'm, I'm, not against, I'm not against video games, and I, I don't have a authoritative scripture to, to say no video games. Just saying think about it, men, because it, it's an addiction to novelty, and it's driving a lot of things that, that we don't think about. And, and maybe there is some wisdom to realize we really ought to let our moderation be known to all men because we start getting in a, uh, in a ditch on one side of the road, and we don't realize this is affecting every part of our life. And once your brain rewires itself, you'll have to have new every place and all of a sudden your nice little conservative Baptist church doesn't stimulate you enough when you walk into the sanctuary so you'll go to a place that has more stimulating music more stimulating preaching more stimulating in all of these things or no preaching and I'm telling you it will affect every part of your life it drives divorce because you get desensitized to the wife you have it drives debt some of you are eaten up with debt because you've got to keep buying new this and new that. Maybe you're not addicted to porn, but I'm telling you, we become addicted to new and novelty. It drives so much. Take a little time, and I'm telling you, it, it, it affects churches. Because the people coming in the threshold, across the threshold of churches are coming from this culture of a demand for novelty. And not all of them are sitting in the pew. Some of them are standing in the pulpit. And let me be clear, there might be some preachers out there saying, bless God, preach their walk, because I hadn't changed in 20 years. I wouldn't be so smug about that. New is great. Just don't let it drive the ministry. And take every change and, and, and what is good that's new, do it. But don't feed, don't feed the novelty addiction in church. We are about a timeless book. And God help us that in all the new that we do it, thank God God gives us the freedom, the liberty to do that. In all the new, be sure that, that you don't feed the addiction to novelty and let them get by with getting bored with timeless because the same brain cells that are feeding the internet out there come in and sit in the pew and want to be fed novelty as well. And many preachers love to have it so. And it's tempting. I know the temptation to do that. It's a whole lot easier to produce the effect than to produce the depth. So be careful in this desensitization. All right, let's. The second one is, in some ways, the opposite. It's sensitization. It, it does the opposite. That the rewired nerve cell connections cause the reward circuitry that, that's here. This is what we're talking about here to buzz with addiction-related cues. So it, it becomes sensitive. The, the brain becomes oversensitized to whatever produced high shots of dopamine before. So something caused the dopamine to come across and, and a, an excessive amount of dopamine, and somehow parts of the brain realize this, and so it becomes sensitive to that kind of stimulation so that, that whenever you get anywhere close to that kind of stimulation, then it sends the brain buzzing and saying, come on, i got to have more of this because this is kind of what produced such a big shot before. And one of the, the, the neurological laws, they say, is that, is that nerve cells that fire together wire together. And so once there has been enough dopamine going across and the receptors has been reduced, what happens is that these two cells eventually wire themselves and so it forms a path of least resistance and no longer does the dopamine have to worry about receptors. It'll eventually just wire together so that it's so much easier to go down that path. And what that does is the more dopamine tells them, and we'll get into these two parts of the brain here in a little bit, but it tells the, the prefrontal cortex that something is very important. When you, when you have that much stimulation, the prefrontal cortex says, okay, we got to make a memory out of what produced this level of dopamine. And that's why seeing something sensual that, that may not even be por pornographic, once this process has taken place, it can trigger and create a hunger for something more graphic to produce dopamine. Because now you've made your brain sensitive. And I mean, you can be at church and see a woman turn the wrong way or bend over the wrong way. And it's just one small little thing, but your brain has become so sensitized to that 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 can send your mind reeling into a hundred different directions. And you might have decided a long time ago, I don't want to have anything to do with this. I, I don't want to think like that towards, towards these people. These are good people. This is a good, this is a godly lady. 
Well, it doesn't matter. Your brain has been rewired and, and it knows that, boy, this is kind of in the avenue that produces a lot of dopamine. And so your brain will say, hey, let that take you back to where this dopamine gets to be a whole lot. And it's why you can just see the smallest thing that's not pornographic and it sends your mind reeling because of the rewiring. And the pathways become super sensitized to any previous experience with related dopamine. You don't have to want this now. You're just paying the price for having gone into it before. And you're going to be drawn into it. It's interesting, and I'll, I'll end in this session with, with this. One of the most fascinating experiments was with rats and dopamine. They put a probe, they put a rat in a cage, and they put a probe into his brain, and they put a switch over on, on the inside of the cage that, that if he would push this switch, it would send an electro st electrical stimulation, and it, would, and it would produce dopamine in his brain. And so the rat figured it out, and he would push the switch, and it produced dopamine, and then he realized it before long, he, man, he's pushing the switch constantly. And he got so, so conditioned to the dopamine that he would actually refuse to eat. He would put off eating. He would even put off actual mating because he can get the dopamine right here. And he'd push the switch over and over and over. And they actually found rats that would die from starvation because they could get their dopamine by pushing the switch. That's how addicted they got to it. And you wonder, how can, how can guys uh, put off so many good things in their life? That's why. You know what they did next? They said, well, let's see how bad he wants it. And so they took a part of the, the flooring of the cage, and they put an electrified grid with a powerful electric current. And they started off, and they, and they put food on the other side of this grid, and they, and they checked to see that the rat would would go, would touch the grid, and it'd be electrified. And so when he touched the grid, he, he thought, ah, that shocks. I don't want to do that. And he, and he wouldn't go get food. But after he had become addicted to the dopamine, they put the grid in, and they kept the current off a time or two so that he would go across the grid, and he would go get the dopamine, and he'd go back and forth all the time. And then, they, and then they fed the current through the grid. And he wouldn't do it for food, but for the shot of dopamine, he would cross the grid and he would cross it enough times that he would actually kill himself by electrocution to get the dopamine. That's how powerful the effect was. And men, it can do the same thing to you. And I know some of you are sitting here saying, God help me, that's exactly what's happening. And it is. That's how dangerous it is. And it's why it affects so much of the rest of your life. I want to get in in the next session, I want to get into the third effect. And then I promise we'll get to some hope because God also designed the body to have hope.